This week would normally be the third installment of the Sam Shovel mystery, The Case of the Lousy Lawyer, but I'm going to be presenting another story from my book, Draw Back the Bow. This week contains the third Thursday in November, which to people in the United States, such as myself, means Thanksgiving holiday. This is a time when we gather with our families and celebrate our presence around each other and our love by overeating until we're incredibly uncomfortable. Just a warning, this story is more PG than G-rated, just so you know. We'll return next week with part three of Sam Shovel and the Case of the Lousy Lawyer. I wrote this story for BayCon, the San Francisco Bay Area Science Fiction Convention. This was the year that Peter S. Beagle was the writer guest of honor. He picked this story to discuss as part of his master class, and I was really honored. He name-dropped Robert Sheckley, who was a forgotten master of the humorous sci-fi story. I'd been working on my novel, Stepping Aside, for close to five years, and while the chapters of that were well-reviewed, I have a damn time keeping my focus together for the length of a novel. It's why none of mine are completed. This story revolves around music. I am a musical being, though I can't play for damn. I'm so often frustrated by my inability to convey the joy of music using just words. But in this story, I was happy to take advantage of that curtain. One shouldn't look directly at a god. The Sound and the Puree Barang Osadebe slurped from his plate of linguini con alio e falioli. The noise was rich in tonal nuance, gluttonous and glutinous. Barang, a tall, proud, dark man of Nepali-Nigerian descent, tried to savor the taste as he sucked morosely. They were at the end of the good stuff, and he and Jemima ate like there was no tomorrow, which was figuratively true. Outside their window, the blue-tinged sun had already set over the shimmering spheres of the Boog City, and twilight lingered like the final vibration of a violin string. He could see the insectoids swarming home for their evening meals, completely oblivious to how they had ruined him. Decacor had sponsored him for a two-month stay on Buglaliu 6, and he was due to be shipped back in the morning. They were expecting either his cryogenically chilled body or recordings worth the cost of him staying on. He'd staked his reputation on being able to capture what everyone else had failed at, the fabled music of the Boogs. But all he'd found was failure. Jemima Glinka appeared to be more wistful. He knew tomorrow she was back to the embassy's protein paste and the last few heads of garlic he was leaving her could only do so much to help. She was a pale woman of medium height and immedium thickness, wide-shouldered, square-hipped, and mostly muscle, a body built for pulling a sledge across the taiga. Not that it hasn't been fun, she said, washing her mouth out with the last of the red wine, a 97 Gosling Schnabel from Gosling Schnabel 6. But by the time my tour is done, you'll have moved on to someone else. Are you going to finish that? He scraped the remains of his meal onto her plate. The sound of fork on plate reminded him of the second movement from Theme for Forchestra and Platters by PDQ Offenbach. Barang had made a big splash in the human compound when he'd arrived, the star of xenomusicology, with several cases of recording equipment and three cases more of gourmet food to convince the embassy to put up with him. Yes, Decacor had paid Earthgrope a dizzifying amount 
to shoot him all the way out here to cut a deal with the highly intelligent Boogs, but it seemed a good bet for everyone. It was Barang who'd smuggled out recordings of the burblers of Burbler 6. He'd spent two years as a transgendered octopus to convince the Chantreuses of Chantreuse 6 that he was ready to hear the holy wisdom of their ocean vent songs. But the vent songs were only so many volcanic bloops compared to the legendary music of the Boogs. The first humans who returned had a haunted look. They told of sounds of indescribable beauty, of angels finding their wings and bells ringing. Since deafness had been bred out of the human genome, Earthgrope tried to staff the embassy with stolid, tone-deaf personnel. But even Jemima, pragmatic as a tractor tire, who had taken up with him because it was the quickest way to get to the caviar, had to admit the music stirred feelings of passion in her. The ambassador had suggested her as Barang's translator, as a person least likely to go swoony. Leave your equipment here, she had suggested before his first journey into the city. She sat on the edge of his bed, crunching a handful of his chocolate macadamia clusters, clutching her translation pad. Just come listen for your first time. They rode the elevator down the side of the embassy pyramid, and the doors opened onto a vast plant-lined concourse of the Boog City. Grabbing his wrist, she pulled him out into the middle of the rushing throng of insectoids. The Boogaloo looked like eight-legged ants, about the size of baby elephants, complete with waving trunks. Their carapaces swirled with bright colors in the morning sunlight. What's that smell? he asked. A miasma, like apple blossoms and ripe peaches next to a winery, floated around them. They communicate by chemical and color. Just listen. And the first boog chimed out randomly in the passing mob. Then a second, a third, a fourth. Strumming and ringing and chorusing. The sounds came from no particular individual, no particular place, just anywhere in the crowd. And all at once, Barang was transformed. The music they made reached into a part of his heart that he suddenly understood had been lying dormant his whole life. He felt the same teenage rush flow through him, just like the first time he heard Alveus' themes on Cobain and B-sharp. His mouth hung open. Dear God... The universe swept into him as his senses suddenly flowed into everything. The peach breezes sliding between the curved silken buildings throbbed with happiness, and laughter poured out of his open mouth. He looked at Jemima, who was laughing in response to his joy. He hadn't noticed how the frizzy hair over her pink-rimmed eyes set off her cherry tomato nose so perfectly. The sounds rang out around them, and Barang was stunned by the beauty radiating from her wide pores. Jemima was looking at him like a four-course lunch. Her hand on his wrist was electric. He stroked her wide cheek, connecting the circuit. The touch was more than either of them could stand. They fell into each other's arms and began to make love in the middle of the avenue. The Boogs were as oblivious to their rutting as they were to the throng flowing around them. Every few minutes there would come a run of sounds which would lift them back into joy. If harps could play power brass... If imbiras could swoop and glide like violins, if canaries were scaled in size to double-bell euphoniums, there might be a way to describe the sounds. And with those instruments there were notes and harmonies that tripped into ranges and combinations no human composer would have even considered. The sound was like perfection, frozen on a stick, dipped in chocolate, turned up to eleven. As they lay spent, Jemima explained the anatomy of the situation to him. They hear perfectly well. They detect and resonate sounds through tubules within a honeycomb of fluid-filled organs just above their thoraxes. 
The liquid regulates the sugars used to drive their muscle equivalent. Jemima was a physiologist who had witnessed numerous operations in their hospitals. But when we ask them about the music, they either ignore the question or change the subject. That joyful morning had been two months ago. He tried the direct approach first, going to the Boogaloo Trade Assembly and talking businessman to business bug. The insectoid led him to a private room decorated with pictures of sweet kittens romping through fields of flowers, roast kitten being Earth's greatest export to the planet. A macho spattering of vermilion and cobalt flashed along the boog's trunk, and it wafted a scent like a child's raspberry perfume. Its voice emanated from speakers in the wall. First, there's nothing going on to record. Second, we don't take kindly to recording devices for any reason. We had a digital rights war about six generations ago, and the scars are still there. It may be nothing to you, Warang said, watching a pad on the wall shimmering in lilac and pink, smelling a mist of rose petals. But your music could revolutionize our world. Think of the advantages you could garner. You could buy anything you wanted from us. The creature stood staring at Barong stoically. If it were a human, Barong would assume it was weighing its options. There is one thing. I'd never mention it to an official diplomat, but you and I seem to be hatched from the same sack. We've been hearing these rumors about things called tigers. The word is they have these big damn kittens. Get me a line on them, and I can get you some authentic boog recordings. Take a whiff of this. The insect pushed over a disc that Barong put his nose up to. Nectarines and quince looped back and forth. Senties, the boog's wall whispered. You want to light a fire back home? Give them that. Barong assured the sales rep he had a connection in the panther trade. But outside he dumped the disc in the trash. He tried the indirect route. He pulled Jemima away from a liter jug of capers to help him hide a remote-controlled microphone in one of the jagged iron plants growing at a public park. But the moment he activated the recorder, several boogs swarmed over the metal plant and shredded it with their mandibles. Barang opened his hand and pushed the remote into the dirt with his heel. They backed away quickly and a razor-edged metal leaf thunked into the ground where they'd been standing. I'd been thinking if this didn't work, I'd try swallowing a mic, he admitted to Jemima quietly. Probably best not, she suggested. He was left with pencil and paper, trying to notate what he heard, but whenever he went back to the pages, it looked like a drunkard's dream journal, half-written phrases that made no sense when played back. So here they were at the end. Two months had evaporated into frustration. He watched Jemima eating with gusto. Screw it, he said, and slathered a huge dollop of roast garlic puree on a hunk of sourdough. After he returned home empty-handed, this might well be his last good meal. Mind passing the beans, he asked. I'm going to miss this, Jemima said. Going back to Grey Gooploaf will make the next few years interminable. Glad to know I've meant so much, Barang said sourly. If you're still interested, I'm back in five years. You're right, he agreed. Let's make a date. A great meal, great wine. I'll be back on my feet by then. Hey, it won't be so bad. Let me see you have a great last night here. Do you upright. It's the least I can do, he said kindly. 
They polished off the rest of the food, loading and reloading the plates with noodles, garlic, and beans until every scrap was gone. They finally headed towards the street, laughing at themselves. The first time they stood on this concourse, the sound had carried them away. This time, they left their clothes by the door on purpose, Jemima wearing only her translation pad, and it felt exciting and perverted, a final F.U. to the planet that had given him a taste of heaven before dumping him. They wandered into the flowing sea of boogs and lay down, waiting for the music to wash over them. But once he was on his back, "'How are you feeling?' Jemima asked, looking down seriously. "'Gassy,' Barang replied. "'Too much roast garlic. "'So good!' she agreed, but my stomach's not used to it. Sorry, he apologized, knowing what would happen next. A boog sang out at random near them. The sound was a melody that would have made Beethoven tear out his hair in shame for not having written it. The sound Barang made was not melodious, nor was fragrant the word. Jemima screwed up her nose in disgust. Several boogs turned and clustered around the naked humans. They stood in place, shuddering as thin stripes of color strobed down their thoraxes. What's happening? She checked the pad. They are calling out to their deities for relief. No? They are wondering how some joy from the afterlife has crossed over into this realm. I don't understand. The smell he'd released cut through the peach, nectarine, and wine scents like chainsaws through a roast kitten. I think I do, Barang said. And why they refuse to talk about their music. But I think I might be able to open negotiations. He relaxed his sphincter and tightened his abdomen muscles, releasing the opening salvo of a trade discussion. Boogs crowded around them in greater numbers, waving their snouts. Think about it, he said. If I launch that air bomb in public, would I talk about it? Now imagine a giant boog with recording equipment following you around, trying to stick his snout in your butt. She looked at him sighed, and had her own embarrassing physiological release. Snouts waved frantically. Barang looked at her translator. Tell them the free concert continues as soon as I get my gear. Cost of admission is unrestricted audio rights. We should get enough to send home tomorrow, and along with the music, we need to send a request for extra beans and roast garlic puree. I want to thank my friend John Hammond for allowing me to use his music Jennifer song as the intro and outro here. You can find all of his music on iTunes. You can find my book, Draw Back the Bow, on Apple iBooks, and hopefully by the time you hear this, on Amazon for Kindle. Thank you so much, and please be sure to stick with the Kingfisher Radio Hour. The Kingfisher Radio Hour. Yesterday's radio made today for all your tomorrows. Check us out at kingfisherradiohour.com.